All right, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Got junk, part 3. Everybody got junk, right? Everybody got junk. So the first part of this series, we dealt with being out of order. We dealt with your life being out of order. We, we, we dealt with not having your prayer life where it needs to be, not having your word life where it needs to be, listening to people preach at you versus, you versus you getting along with the Lord and hearing what you need to hear for yourself. We dealt with all that. The second week, which was last week, we dealt with fear. We dealt with how fear is a spiritual condition. It's not a mental condition. Amen. Y'all need to get that. Fear happens inside. It gets in your head. It moves into your heart. And we also dealt with the fact that the majority of the things we fear, I, I, I don't have time to go through the study again, but upwards of 75% of what is fearful, 75% of what is fearful is not ever going to happen. Amen. Yeah, everybody right here. Amen, right? All right. So we, we have to understand that that's not going to happen. Today, part three Condemnation. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of y'all dealt with condemnation? Jeremiah 1 and 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. These are our foundational scriptures that we've used throughout this entire series. Jeremiah 29 and 11. Uh, he's going to put it on the screen in the King James. I'm reading the NIV. Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm. Say, not to harm. Plans to give you a hope and a future, not to harm, hope and a future. The King James says it this way, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. See, a lot of preachers, for whatever reason, forget this text and talk about God wanting to hurt you, harm you, or you did this, and because of that, God's going to get you, and, and you open this door, and you cause this... God has an expected end. His expectation for you is good. Now, you can do things in your life and, and pull yourself out from underneath the covering of the Word. But you put yourself in a situation on your own. And we blame God for a lot of things, and we blame the enemy for a lot of things. That's really just us with our nasty attitude. Now, I see y'all going to shout with me today. It's okay. So we're going to talk about that today. So Satan has three lies. Now, I'm going to move fast. Because we want to baptize and we want to get everybody focused on baptism and we want to get you to the chicken place before it closes. And, uh, but, but let's make sure we get this in. Satan has three lies that he tells everybody. Three lies. Number one, you don't fit in. Number two, you aren't good enough. And number three, you're not worthy. Now, we've all heard that on some level, right? You don't fit in. You aren't good enough. You're not worthy. 1 Samuel 15 and 24 uh, is speaking, it's dealing with uh, Saul. It says, I have sinned and violated the Lord's command. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to their voice. I learned something in ministry a long time ago, and it was this. You don't move the church by the voice of the people. You move the church by the voice of the Holy Ghost. That if I am doing everything possible and the team members are doing everything possible to live their life close to the Holy Spirit, even if we miss it, we're still moving in the right direction. We have to hear what the Lord is saying to us, where he's taking us to, where he's putting us. You know, they told us when we came down here, nothing grows down by the river. There's nothing going to grow down there. 
They told you, you can't put a church down there. Well, the reason they told us that is because they were seeing things through their human eyes. And to be quite honest with you, we felt that way for a long time ourselves until the day came that we walked in this building and immediately the Holy Spirit spoke to both of us. She knew, I knew. And let me tell you something, when, when, when people around you see the connection of a husband and wife and they know, and then they know God's spoken, you see things begin to happen because, now listen to me, there's nothing more powerful on this earth than a husband and wife covenant connection. Nothing more powerful than that. And when the husband and the wife begins to see what God's calling them into and believing, then you move into it. But they told us you don't fit in your church. Now, listen, let me explain this to you. They told us in Jasper that we didn't fit in in Jasper. Now, how, how weird you got to be to not fit in in Jasper? They said, your, your church don't fit in here. You're wanting to build a men's home. You're wanting to build a women's home. You want to get into the jails. You want to do this stuff. You want, you want to do all. It's not going to, you're just not going to fit in here. You need to get out of the city limits. We were told this by officials, city officials. You, you just, we're just not going to have a little Pentecostal church here. And, and we said, okay, fine. And, and so we just believed God, and we ended up here. And now the funny thing is, is everything that we wanted to do that we're doing, now everybody in the city is like, hey, can you do that here? And, and because it's God's design, not ours. But we didn't buy into the fact that we didn't fit in. We bought into, I don't care if I fit into your spectrum, I fit into his. Some of y'all, some of y'all are square pegs in a round hole. Y'all should have just shouted amen to that. God has got you in places to release something amazing into people that you don't even realize you have yet. God has put you in places to be able to speak into lives and to keep people. You know, you would be surprised that at the, if God pulled back the curtain and you saw that you were the one voice that was keeping somebody from suicide, it would shock you. It would really shock you, the voice that you've been given into people. You would be surprised, those of you who call yourself believers, how many people from other denominations or work or whatever that are watching you to see if you are what you say you are. People want to see that you're real. People, Listen, we, we have to stop arguing about the names over the door of the church and just say that it's all Jesus. If we could just agree on Jesus, the minor stuff can go away. Because the truth is, is the whole point of baptism is to be immersed in him. It's to understand that we do fit in, that we have a home, we have a body, we have a family, that we are part of many brethren. He was the firstborn. We're moving into a place where it's not about fitting in, it's about becoming what he's called us to become. Now, the second thing is, is I'm moving fast, I understand, but the second thing is, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, if, if you don't fit in, you're, you, 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 you conform. You, well, I better stop. I'm, I got to stay on this point a minute. Let me, let me stay here. Now, let's get real serious for a second. I, I, we all have different church backgrounds, all of us. Um, so, here's what we can agree on is that the average pregnancy in school today is 13 to 14 years old. That's average. And the reasoning, now you need to go read these studies. The reasoning is to fit in or conform to pressure. Because people are so weak in who they are. Children are not being confirmed by their parents or whatever. They don't feel like they know who they are, that they have to become something else. And that's, that's hurtful because what we've done is we've created a church that's full of condemnation and not a church that's full of growth. 
We either have churches that are so strict and hard people can't grow or so loose and free that people just do what they want to and call it Jesus. And there's a big valley right in the middle that we've got to find and teach people that all you have to be like is like him. And then the people in this church and other churches should be the example to these 13, 14, 15-year-olds of seeing what it's like to be like him. See, when you see Jesus, you see love, you see compassion, you see joy. You don't read in the, let me, let me say this. The only place you read in the Bible where you see Jesus getting on somebody is church folk. And Jesus wears some church folk out. And, and some, some of us need to be wore out. Because he, he, Jesus didn't buy into the fact that, that, you, that, that because you called yourself something, that's what you were. Everything grows in the heart. Everything. Every team meeting we ever have, if you've ever been here for a team meeting and April's talking to the team, it's always about what's in your heart. Always. Now, number two, you aren't good enough. That means you have a performer's mindset. Luke chapter 10, verse 40 Let's read that out. I'm going to read that off the screen. Luke chapter 10, verse 40. It's King James. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, don't you care? Y'all remember me talking about Jesus not caring? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she helps me. Now, the King James says it this way. Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that needed to be made. Too many times you miss what God's talking to you about because you're distracted with things that you think you need to do to live up. Can I just tell y'all something? You cannot live up to God's standard. You cannot do it. It's impossible without Jesus. Because when you submit yourself to the word and when you submit yourself to Jesus and you clothe yourself in him and you let him begin to infect your heart the right way, then all of a sudden you find yourself being compassionate about certain things that you didn't care about. All of a sudden you find yourself moving into a place. You have to learn to pray, God, let me see people like you see people. Because if you see people like God sees people, then it becomes needful to be close to them. It becomes needful that you do whatever it takes to help them. You learn to be spiritually compassionate instead of just somebody who gets drained. Martha was motivated by her service. Now, we ain't gonna get, I ain't going to make any more serve comments because I'm getting too many emails. But we have to understand, when you live in a day and age where you are performance-based, which we are in that age, whether you know it or not, everything is performance-based. Everybody wants to be liked on Facebook a thousand times. Nobody wants to look at me because you know it's you. Can I just tell you all something? If somebody can hit a button and unfriend you, they ain't your friend. They just aren't your friend. How do we get, it just, it just amazes me. We, we live in this society where, where clicks matter. I, you know what I care about? I care about coming in here and hearing what God's saying. I, I care about coming in here and, and when we come in here on, on Monday and, and the music's going and we, we, we get a little instrumental music going and we're praying and, and the Holy Spirit really begins to minister, not about the church, but to us, to me, talking to me. I, listen, I, I'm just going to pull the curtain back. I, I am Martha more than I'm Mary. 
Because I will come in here and I will walk around this church praying and I'm like, God, I need to get this done. We need to get that blue house. And Lord, we need to do this. And God, we got to do that. And the parking lot needs to be resurfaced, Lord. And man, we got to paint these walls. The drywall's starting to crack. Oh, Lord. And that's not prayer. That's not prayer. That's performance. And then all of a sudden, you know, then, then you move over. Then you, then you get, now listen, I'm just being honest because I know y'all are holy, but I'm not. I'm being honest. I will get in here and do all this. And all of a sudden, mentally, I start getting overwhelmed. And then my prayer becomes, I can't believe they said this. You know, that woman sent me an email on that. You know what they said about my family, God? You know, I know they're talking about me, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, I'll realize what I'm doing, and I'll move into a place where this, this overwhelming compassion hits. And I say these words, God, help me see them like you see them. And then tears start flowing, and, 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 and the heart becomes soft. And all of a sudden, you know, then the guys will tell you, I'll come up here and walk on the stage and pray because I don't want anybody to hear me blubbering, you know. I got, a, I got snot blowing, you know. But it's because I care about people so much. And I want people to know that Jesus is good. It's not about preaching to me. I honestly could go another, I, I could go 20 years and never preach again as long as my life preaches. As long as people see Jesus. And I want to be more like Mary than Martha because Mary was always at his feet. Mary, Mary made herself available to hear what Jesus was saying, not just prepare for those who were coming. See, when you prepare for the, we, now don't get me wrong, there is service in the ministry. You, you, you should, as a Christian, you should be a part of a church and you should be serving. That's just part of it. However, your service should never be greater than your worship. Your service should never be your identity. Your, your time in his presence should mark you. It should do something. I, I'm going to tell you all this story. We might get to this third one. We might not. Um, I met this guy a while ago. His name was Matt Gober. Y'all hear me talk about him all the time. I'm going to try to talk about him today without crying. I'm pretty sure April will cry. Was, Mac was dad to me, spiritual father. Took me in. I was already in ministry, took me in, uh, tore me apart, put me back together, taught me how to do this thing the right way, not to buy into the denominational junk, but to be about Jesus. And I'll never forget, I have never told this story publicly, not one time. But I was sitting down in his office one day down in Prattville, and I just taught class. Now, I have told the part about class because I was teaching class, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm standing in this room about this size in the middle, then I'm teaching class, and this was back when it was full, so there's probably 40, 50 students in there. And I'm teaching, and Max, he eases in the back. Now, Mac, Mac didn't come to class much when somebody else was teaching. He was usually dealing with business. So when I saw him come into class, nerves came all over me because, man, the guy that runs, this is Mac Gober. He's been preaching for 150 years. He knows this and that and the other. And he comes in, and I'm, I'm preaching, and I just don't let up, and I keep going. And then all of a sudden, I see him do this. I see him reach over to a guy, and he snatches his notebook away, and he starts taking notes. Well, now pride hits, because Matt Gober's taking notes from Alan Bailey. And so, you know, I can, I can own it. I was very prideful about it. And we were walking down the hallway. Now, y'all have heard this story. I just hadn't told you the rest of it. We're walking down the hallway, and at that time, he was on, he was on the cane, because it was right after he'd messed his leg up. And we're walking down the hall, and we're just kind of strolling because he couldn't go fast. And he said, he said, son, he always called me son, which made me tear up. He said, son, that was really good class. And me just being a young preacher thinking I knew everything, I said, well, it was all God. 
Then he stopped and took that cane like Yoda and popped me in the shin. I'm like, trust me, Mac, Mac at, at 60 was still bad. I didn't want to tangle with him. And uh, I said, what? He said, if it was all God, there'd been no mistakes. And just started walking. That's how he was. He just changed things just like that. Just one word would change things. So we go on into his office and we're eating. They brought us some food and we're sitting there talking. And he said these words. And this is the part of the story I've never shared publicly. And because it was very private between me and him, there was nobody in there. And he said, son, where did you get your limp? And I'm like, you just slapped me in the knee. He said, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, where'd you get your limp? He said, when you wrestle with God, it affects you. And you walk different. And he said, the guy that I just saw taught that class is different from the guy that I met a few years ago. Where'd you get your limp? And I thought, I think I'm being set up for a trick question. I don't know how to answer this. And what he was telling me was that I was finally finding a place with God that it wasn't just about church. It was about relationship. That it wasn't about ministry. It was about finding out who I am to him. See, because we have this identity with God that he looks at us as a blanket. Oh, come on, y'all. You understand that he individually knows everything about all of us. And individually cares about everything in all of us. But what we do is we go to church and we do our duty and we hear the preacher preach with us, at us, or against us, whichever, whatever preacher it is, and then we go home. And then, then if, if we're really good and spiritual people, we keep our mouth shut. But if we're good, if we're normal Christians, we go and talk bad about the preacher at the restaurant. That's just what we do. But then something changes. Something along the way, it becomes not about church, but about learning him and, and getting to know him himself. You please don't miss the point that God has a hunger and a desire for you to know him so intimately that you can grab a hold to him just like Jacob did and hold him until God says, look, I got to go. And God has to touch his hip. He has to mark him so he walks different. Listen, he walked different the rest of his life that the children in the camp knew. Look, he, may, he might walk funny, but he was with God. See, because when you're with God, it changes things. I can, listen, oh, after all these years, I can tell. I can tell when I'm hearing somebody teach or preach or talk. I can tell if they've heard God or if they're just heard, saying something another preacher said. Because there's something about being in his presence that marks you. And when Max said that to me, he said, son, where did you get your limp? And that's when, you know, that, there, was, there was a season we went through where I'd, uh, I'd been ordained and all these different things had happened. And I was able to share the story to him that, that April and I had gone through the worst season of our life right before ordination. All the things I had believed God for my whole life were happening, but those things didn't matter anymore because we had really just went through the worst season of our marriage and we were just grateful to be raising our family together. See, when, when perspective comes in, things change. Now, I know this is deep for a baptism Sunday, but you have to know, you have to know who he is. You can't, just, you, you, you can't just float through life and say, well, whatever will be, will be. You know, if God wants it for me, he'll give it to me. That's not what this Bible says. So you have to see these things the right way. Now, the third one is you're not worthy. John uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. He's going to have the King James. I really want to deal with this one. John uh, chapter 4, verse 17 
Uh, this is Jesus with the woman at the well. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. He told her to go fetch your husband. Now understand, Jesus sent her to get her husband because it was not proper for a man and a woman to be at that well alone together that weren't married. So Jesus sent her to get her husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Uh, he said, you're, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man that you got now you're just shagging up with. And uh, so when you deal with this, you, there's two aspects of this you have to understand. Now, I'm fixing to say something that's a little controversial, but I can prove this by, by Bible history. This woman was at the well at the time when not normal people went to the well to gather water. And here's why. Because she was what they called at the time a loose woman. She was there to meet people. This was the bar. She was hitting on Jesus. Let's just let that settle a minute. She was, oh, see, I just felt y'all get tight. She was like, yeah, there he is. That's what she was doing. She was trying to find another man. Because she was trying to cling to something she thought would change her or help her. And Jesus goes on. This is the great moment where Jesus tries to tell her, look, if you drink from, if you drink from living water, you'll never be thirsty again. He's trying to tell her that if you'll understand what I'm really here for. See, she tried to go all churchy on him. Go read this story. Because she goes, oh, our fathers and Jacob, they worshiped in the mountain. She tried to go spiritual. You ever been in the club and they start talking about Jesus? I know all y'all holy, but I used to play music in the club. They talk about Jesus all the time. But here's, here's what you, uh, let me, I, I can prove it to you. You can watch all kind of rap videos and, and award shows and everybody and their brother thanking Jesus. Y'all uncomfortable as all get out, I know. Everybody thinking Jesus, don't none of them know him. But here's the thing. Y'all are not amen to me today, and I'm offended by that. <laughs> so people cling to things that they think will help them. See, this is one thing that I've dealt with my whole life. When you're insecure, you cling to things that you feel like will make you better. This is how we get addicted to uh, drugs. This is how we get addicted to alcohol. This is how we get addicted to the next fad. This is how uh, people get addicted to this and get addicted because addiction, by and large, has nothing to do with the substance. Addiction has to do with the mindset. It has to do with knee-jerk reactions and manipulation and selfishness because there's a hole you're trying to fill. You're trying to cling to something. You're trying to be free. And Jesus is telling this lady, what you're addicted to is men. Now, I know nobody in here. But, the, but Jesus is calling her out and telling her, this is who you are. But in love, if you will learn why I'm here, you will absolutely drink from living water and you'll never have to cling to something unhealthy again. And your life can begin to, are y'all okay? Your life can, can begin to line up to the beauty of holiness of what I've called it to. And this woman goes back, listen to me, she goes back to her village. Now, she is a marked woman. She is the woman that all the other women in the camp don't want around. Amen. That's who she is. But she goes back and starts talking about this man at the well. And this woman who was marked to be evil caused a revival and brought living water to an entire village. Read your Bible. Do some church research. This woman brought revival through Christ into a place and, well, she's a woman. A woman ain't supposed to preach. You got to get over the semantics. You have to understand what the word says. The word says she went back and talked about Jesus. That is what preachers do. 
She went back and told. People say, well, yeah, I just don't believe that. Well, when, 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 when Mary saw the stone was rolled away, Amen. she didn't turn into a man to go say Jesus is risen. Y'all, we got to stop all this stuff. It's, this ain't biblical. We have to get over to the fact and understand what the fivefold ministry really is. It's a heart check. Oh, y'all going to get me meddling here in just a second. We have to see that God has called us to a place that we're not so broken that we just fall for anything. People need to know Jesus is real. But they know that Jesus is real by seeing him in you. Now, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say this loud and proud. When you look at yourself in the mirror, do you see Jesus? <laughs> Raising the house. I know there's, there's times I look in the mirror and I'm like, well, that, Jesus ain't nowhere near you. You need to get this fixed. Because let me explain something to you. And this is my last point, I promise. Then we fix a dunk somebody. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm ready. When he gets a rock music playing, you know. <laughs> get Seth up here. I, I, I want that so bad, but God ain't let me do it. Anyway. Y'all know that old Benny Hinn video where the bodies hit the floor? You know that? I want that so bad. <laughs> I'm going to get back on the word. My, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> what we got to see is that in the Bible, please, everybody, please, if you don't hear anything else I said, hear this. Before the first murder, before the first real sin in the Bible, these words were spoken. Cain and Abel. God speaks and says, why has your countenance fallen? Then he kills his brother. God tried to warn him, I can see by your face that you're not okay. All y'all trying to hide stuff, you ain't hiding nothing. We all think we got this. We ain't got this. He says, why has your countenance fallen? And let me tell you something. When you get into biblical theology, there's a term called type and shadow in the law of first mention. When something is mentioned the first time in the Bible, that it is a shadow throughout the entire Bible. Which means every time you're about to get into something you shouldn't be into, check your face. See how you feel. Just randomly look at yourself. Take a selfie. You're good at those. Of course, I can't do that. It takes me like 17 times to get my lips. I got to warm up. I can't do it. Then April, we'll, we'll be at a minister's conference. April's like, let's get a picture together. Well, I don't do pictures. So let's get a picture together. And it takes, she's like, oh, my hair ain't right. And then my elbow's hurting by the time we finally get the right picture. And she looks amazing, but I'm like, ah. why has your countenance fallen? Sherry was in the grocery store. This was when we first started the church. She's, I've told this story many times, but not to you. We laugh about this all the time because I preached an entire series on countenance. And, and she was in thought, you know. She was looking for something. Y'all, if you've ever been around Sherry, when she's looking for something, she's looking, you know. Sherry's in Walmart, and she hears these words. Mommy, why is that lady mad? Look, kid, just thinking Sherry's mad at the world. Fish just snatch her up and whip her. But she's, she's in full thought on something. The point is this. Where are you putting your thoughts? Because it's showing up. Now, I'm not here to judge. That's not my job. We have got to stop making this desk the desk of judgment. Judgment was on the cross. 
However, my job is to challenge you to understand that God has called you to greater. And when you're in his presence, this shows it. It just shows. Now, last point, and then I'm done. <clears throat> We're talking about being, uh, being clingers. Now, you have to understand that you're in Christ. In Christ, you're forgiven. In Christ, you're secure. And in Christ, you're free. The Bible says, he whom the Son is set free is free indeed. Indeed. 